Hello, hello. You're listening to Cognitive Dissident. My name is Kalyani Saxena, and we're back for another episode. Welcome back. I'm super excited about today's episode because it also doubles as a project for my American politics class. We love when schoolwork and passion projects align. Today, we're going to be diving into one of America's most contentious issues, abortion. I want to walk you through one, the history of abortion in this country, two, how the current restrictions on abortion are tied to America's institutional framework of federalism, three, how these restrictions disproportionately affect low-income women and women of color, and four, what can be done to stem the tide of laws restricting abortion. So let's get right into it. In today's polarized political climate, it's easy to believe that abortion has always been a partisan issue. To believe that conservatives have always fought to combat abortion and liberals have always fought to protect it. History, however, does not reflect that narrative. So to understand how we got where we are today, let's take a little walk back through time. did not start off as illegal in America. According to Leslie Reagan's 1996 book, When Abortion Was a Crime, as described by CNN, abortions were widely practiced and allowed under common law throughout the 1700s and the early 1800s. That is, until 1880, when abortions became criminalized, except in circumstances necessary to save the mother's life. Reagan says that this criminalization was the result of political pressure. Now, this is actually kind of ironic because this pressure came not from religious conservatives, but from the medical establishment, the same people who today are fighting to protect abortion rights. Regardless of its legality, women continue to want, or more accurately, need abortions. And so they did whatever they had to to get them. Wealthy women obtained abortions by leaving the country or paying a hefty sum to a physician. But for most women, an illegal abortion meant turning to dangerous methods like coat hangers, chemicals, and back alley procedures. Politically, support for abortions did not fall neatly along party lines. As Vox reports, in the 1970s, you were about as likely to have a Democrat vote against abortion in Congress as you were to have a Republican vote against abortion. This all changed during the 1972 presidential campaign, when Richard Nixon began formulating anti-abortion positions to gain the support of Catholic voters. And gain their support, he did. Nixon won the election, and the majority of Catholic voters. And Republican strategists took note. According to Vox, they began forming coalitions with evangelical groups and positioning themselves as opposed to abortion. This was part of an effort to rebrand the Republican Party as pro-family and also to mobilize conservative voters. The abortion debate reached a turning point on January 22, 1973, when the Supreme Court legalized abortion. They ruled that a woman had the right to make her own medical decisions, including the decision to have an abortion. The case came to be known as Roe v. Wade. Good evening. In a landmark ruling, the Supreme Court today legalized abortions. The majority in cases from Texas and Georgia said that the decision to end a pregnancy during the first three months belongs to the woman and her doctor, not the government. 
Thus, the anti-abortion laws of 46 states were rendered unconstitutional. And for one spectacular moment, women across the country breathed evening. America has known legalized abortion, it has also known restrictions on legalized abortion. State governments have taken advantage of the American institution of federalism to make it increasingly difficult for women to have access to abortion. So what exactly is federalism? Ken Coleman defines it as a political system with multiple levels of government in which each level has independent authority over some important policy area. Now, that sounds like a big definition with a lot of words, but basically in the U.S., this means that while Congress may mandate federal standards, state governments generally have some autonomy. As long as state law does not come into conflict with national law and violate the Constitution's supremacy clause, states can impose their own sets of regulations and policies. And conservative states have taken advantage of this institution. Since 1973, state legislatures have passed more than 1,100 restrictions on abortion. Some of these restrictions include bans on the types of procedures, forced ultrasounds, um, and anti-abortion counseling mandates. All of these work to, one, make women change their minds, and two, to restrict um, access to abortion. In their article for Georgetown Journal of Gender and the Law, Michelle Goodwin and Megan Thompson call this strategic federalism. They explain that lawmakers are using a legal loophole that allows states to regulate abortion to protect the health of the mother. This allows them to target abortion providers and clinics without violating the Supreme Court's jurisprudence slash their decision on Roe v. Wade. What this means basically is they're not technically violating a woman's right to choose as the Supreme Court um, Roe v. Wade decision says, but they're targeting this, the clinic specifically, which falls within their, um, their, their jurisdiction as, as a state, as a part of federalism. And specifically, many pro-choice activists are particularly concerned with TRAP laws. And TRAP stands for Targeted Regulations of Abortion Providers. TRAP laws impose unnecessary regulations on abortion clinics. They're not just irregular regulations for health and safety. They're much more extreme and um, burdensome. For example, they force providers to have admitting privileges at hospitals and two to meet the standards of ambulatory surgical centers. In reality, these standards are often impossible to meet. Doctors, for example, can't get privileges at hospitals in conservative states because of anti-abortion stigma. And also, they can't meet the required number of admitted patients that they're supposed to meet because abortion is a safe procedure, so people don't generally need to go to the hospital. Here's one abortion provider talking about the excess regulations at a clinic in Alabama. Since you decided to open a clinic in 2001, how many like legal hoops have you had to jump through as like new laws have been created here? Can't even count. You know, I kind of feel almost at home in in the federal court in, in the federal courthouse, at least in in in, um, in Montgomery. It's been admitting privileges, the zoning, the building codes. And probably, probably some more. I just can't even think. I mean, it goes on and on. It's been, it's been nonstop. 
Trap laws have serious consequences for access to abortion. Missouri had five abortion clinics in 2008. In 2019, it has just one. While some lawmakers argue that these laws are to ensure the safety of pregnant women, many others have given up the pretense. Here is Republican State Representative Bubba Carpenter talking about abortion in Missouri. We have literally stopped abortion in the state of Mississippi. The only clinic in the the capital says the only abortion clinic in the state of Mississippi. A bill was drafted that said if you would do a performing abortion in the state of Mississippi, you must be a certified OBGYN and you must have admitted privileges to a hospital. Anybody here in the medical field knows how hard it is to get admitted privileges to a hospital. The reduced access to abortion affects women across the country, but low-income women of color are hit particularly hard. According to Vox, in 2014, 49% of people who got abortions had family incomes below the poverty line. The Goodmacher Institute also reports that the majority of women who get abortions are of color, with white patients only accounting for 39% of abortion procedures in 2014. This means that the majority of people who get abortions likely don't have the financial resources to cross state lines when abortion clinics shut down. My area, Mississippi, it didn't have a clinic for abortion, so I had to look to, to my hometown where I'm from to see if they would do it for me, but they told me I was too far along. A lot of people are stopping at nine weeks and 12 weeks, and I'm 17. Right now, I'm kind of relying on government assistance until I find a job, so I just didn't have the money for the abortion. That is why it took me so long. Unfortunately, because of the structure of federalism, communities of color also can't easily hold legislators accountable and, and change these laws. Author Lisa L. Miller points out that federalism makes it such that poorly resourced groups remain isolated from each other and they're unable to mobilize on a statewide level. Unfortunately, as much as trap laws restrict abortion, the situation has only worsened as a recent wave of heartbeat bills have passed across the country. According to Vox, these laws ban abortion once a fetal heartbeat is detectable. This can be as early as six weeks into a pregnancy, like when most people don't even know that they're pregnant. Here we see an intersection between federalism as an institution and the judiciary as an institution. State lawmakers know that heartbeat laws violate Roe v. Wade. They know this and in fact, they want it to violate Roe v. Wade. They hope that by making state laws that contradict national law, an abortion case might go all the way up to the Supreme Court where Roe v. Wade might be overturned due to the court's new conservative bloc. My goal with this bill, and I think all of our goal, is to have Roe v. Wade turned over. So what can be done? Ideally, national law would restrict states' ability to overly regulate abortion. Unfortunately, members of Congress that hail from conservative states likely aren't going to support any such changes to the law. Hope Silverstein proposes an interesting alternative. She proposes that abortion clinics argue that trap laws violate the takings clause of the Fifth Amendment. This clause states that private property shall not be taken for public use without just compensation. She says that clinic owners can claim that trap laws limit their rights as business owners and as employers. While this may seem somewhat outlandish, America has always been a country that values property. During our founding, political rights were reserved exclusively for white landowners. 
In fact, as Silberstein points out, many of the states with conservative legislatures have expansive laws protecting property rights. So while it's not the most straightforward approach, a creative legal argument might just be what pro-choice activists have been looking for. so much for tuning in. I hope that you learned a little something about how federalism works to bolster abortion restrictions across America and just what it might take to undercut its power. As always, let me know if you have thoughts and questions and I'll see you next time. <laughs>